Hello there, listener, and welcome to Fishnets and Philosophy. I am your host, Mix Bell Morgan, and I hope you'll join me on this journey of connection as we embark towards conversations that will be deep, meaningful, and insightful. So if that sounds like something you would enjoy, then sit back, put your headphones in, and let's get philosophical. Hi, and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. I am your host, Mix Bell Marigan, and today I am joined by the fabulous Dr. Caroline West, who is the host of the equally fabulous Glow West podcast. If you are not a listener of it, you should get on that straight away. And a quick bio on Caroline. So Dr. Caroline West is an outreach coordinator with Active Consent. She holds a PhD and MA in sexuality studies from Dublin City University. Additionally, she holds a certificate in cyber psychology from IADT and a certificate in sexual consent and health promotion from NUIG. She is the host of the Glow West podcast, which is a sexual wellness podcast and the sex and relationship expert for Bumble Ireland. She also writes a weekly relationship column for the Irish Independent. And then Caroline has spent over two decades working and volunteering in social care and has been a media commentator about consent and sexual wellness since 2016. So that is a fabulous bio and introduction. You have your fingers in many different areas. You're a person with many hats. actually very true i didn't even know it um but just before we jump in so like maybe what are your pronouns how you identify if you're comfortable sharing any of that information absolutely yes so i use she or they and i'm kind of changing things up i would have always identified as bisexual but now i'm kind of embracing pansexual a bit more i think it feels like it's the same thing but just maybe a little bit more of an update because i wouldn't do bisexual as transphobic you know um but oh it's a complicated area this is <laughs> <language>. yep perfect but i completely feel you on that as someone who i'm constantly am i bisexual am i pansexual am i like i it's uh, just constant i like to say that i'm bisexual when i'm among cishet people and i'm pansexual when i'm surrounded by queer people because they'll understand better (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's it is so confusing i think when it comes just as a general thing when it comes to those labels and how we identify at the end of the day it's really what you feel most comfortable with like i think that's the easiest way to determine it like because we all have our own definitions of what they mean like Technically, I'm probably omnisexual because I'm open to everyone, but the way I'm open to everyone, there's preferences or either like how someone presents their gender and stuff like that. But yeah, exactly. Oh, 
It's constantly changing, so much changing. And speaking of changing, you've recently started to uh, jump on board with the Active Consent crowd. So I want you to kind of talk about what it is that they do, what your work involvement with them is, and then just kind of generally how important it is to put the conversation of consent at the forefront of everything when it comes to sexuality and relationships. delivering workshops on consent to delivering training you know organizing like media campaigns things like this so basically communicating to other people about consent is i suppose the short version of that um, and what i really like about active consent is that we do we deliver this message in numerous ways so we have workshops which is unfortunately online at the moment mm. because of covid but we also have e-learning modules we have a, a play and we have our social media we also had like an eight-week campaign called start here which was to support people if their friends disclosed um sexual assault to them so i like that you know we talk in different ways because not everyone wants to go to a workshop not everyone wants to go to a play but hopefully we catch people in in different ways as well but it's slightly wild because you know we've developed to that point but like the first consent classes in Ireland can you remember when they started if I'm guessing I think they started after I had already left college so I'm thinking the first consent classes would have been maybe around 2014 15 2016 right this is when trinity college started rolling out and they got such huge backlash they had op-eds and newspapers saying oh you're just gonna say all men are rapists and like we don't need consent classes and huge backlash and now we're up to the point where like active consent have had 31,000 students in the workshops i mean that's huge and it's not mandatory people just want to go like even last year in the middle of the pandemic and stuff we had almost 20,000 first-year students take part in the online workshop like given all the zoom hassle and living in a pandemic and living in your bedroom we still had that huge amount so it really shows like in that short five years the, the mm. different cultural change that we have towards um, consent and realizing actually we really 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 need to talk about this a lot more oh that well yeah just in general hearing about how quick of an uptake it's been is very refreshing and yeah like i think as a, as like maybe even a wider social thing it's refreshing just to see younger generations wanting to learn this information whether it's consent or about the queer community whatever it is there's younger people are like no no we want this information we want this knowledge so it gives you hope for us not so young people <laughs> um but no like uh, just when it comes to uh, the consent like what with the act of consent and the organization like how when it comes to you said it's not mandatory so is it the case that you kind of like present it into different like universities or like organizations like that and kind of say do you want us to run these classes or is it more that you reach out and say we're running these let people know if they want to attend yeah well we we offer training to third level institutions and mm. we've worked i think it was something like 20 something hei so that's higher level education institute um last year so it's basically all the colleges and third level places last year and we've said 
this is what we offer do you want to come along and they will train up facilitators that can run a workshop in person or well online at the mm. moment um and and go from there so we we used to take the approach of we would travel around and do all the workshops and then we realized that's kind of exhausting and not possible when you're trying to train like thousands and thousands of people like a small team like mm. to, i think nine ish people um so we can't do absolutely everything but it's lovely to see students doing it because like if you empower people they want to do it and there's so many people out there that want to do this they want to run consent workshops they want to ha- go to college in a place where consent is valued and talked about mm-hmm. so if they can be empowered to be an agent of change themselves i think that's such a great way uh, of doing it and we have lots of people like we're kind of turning some people away because we're like oh, we have too many from your place which is so lovely to have so it's it's I can't actually believe it like and also like I can't believe this is my job it's fantastic but it's lovely that we are at that point in Irish society because we've had hundreds of years if not longer Mm -hmm. not talking about sex and consent you know and now we're at this point where we have you know like thousands tens of thousands of students coming along and it's just so lovely to see that it is and that just that what you said there about that unique beautiful position of actually (laughs) having to turn people away because you've already got too many people that's just like a really nice thing to be able to say that we actually have too many people so we're turning you away that's a wonderful thing but i actually want to kind of like touch on because you said you know the first classes was only 2016 and like the massive backlash that they kind of face so kind of I want to think what your perspective is on it like do you think that the reason that there was a lot of backlash at that time and just kind of in general when conversations about consent are brought up is because there's just a very limited understanding of what consent actually is so there's a lot of people who think oh I know what consent is we don't need to be told what it is or do you think it's more of a deeper like socio-cultural issue particularly in ireland yeah i think i think a lot of it was fear you know we mm. didn't talk about this we didn't have the language we didn't understand that sexual violence is a spectrum you know and it goes from like groping or just even like words and sexual harassment up to you know um like very violent assaults in person like, there's mm-hmm. a huge spectrum in the midst of all that and I, I don't we're getting a lot better at understanding that and naming that but we obviously still have a way to go but I think some people as well were like oh you are going to say all men are rapists and we're like no absolutely not like the work we do it is very gender inclusive and we have um little stories that we get our students to look at and go what do you think do you think this was consent or not and we have mm. um male and male we have you know um male perpetrator female victim we have male victim female perpetrator we have same-sex couples so because this that's life like yeah there's more than three people out there you know and and you know anyone can be a victim and anyone can be a perpetrator like we do recognize that like we have done research um it's kind of a sobering read all right the sexual experiences Mm. survey in 2020 and that said that 75 percent of students reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment and 29% of females, 10% of males, and 28% of non-binary students reported negative sexual experiences. And a lot of those perpetrators were men, but we do also have to name the fact that men are victims also. 
So it, it's, you know, we have a long way to go to kind of understand that. But we're not in there going, all men, you know, <laughs> hashtag all men, and stuff like that. It's, it's not. Like, it's not a very, it's not a judgmental kind of thing. And we're not here to go, we're going to tell you exactly what consent is. We let people figure it out for themselves and, you know, define it for themselves. And we're not here to go, yes, you are correct. No, you are not right. And all that stuff. That doesn't work, you know exactly i think like that really touches on it that it is and i was actually only listening to the episode from your own podcast about the cons- like the live consent panel that you did another fantastic panel and episode but there was a lot of talking about you know how when it comes to consent so much of it is really nuanced like so i think that's really refreshing to hear that that is the kind of approach that users are taking as well in the sense that it's not this, you know, yes, you're correct, this is consent, this isn't, that's it, black and white, book closed, it's more about letting people kind of figure it out for themselves, what it means for themselves, once they kind of know this is how you can get consent for yourself, so you know for yourself what consent is, so I think that's a really refreshing approach, and speaking on, because you touched on it there, about how, when it comes to, like, consent, and it refers to this spectrum that is sexual violence when it comes to that spectrum of sexual violence something as well that i feel you're you're very familiar with because you've talked about it on your own podcast and you've had different guests on as well but it's about the issue of image-based sexual assault abuse in ireland which is on that spectrum of sexual violence and where consent has not been sought it's not present in those situations so I'm just wondering, like, what you kind of, like, think, like, firstly, kind of talk about, like, you know, how the kind of law came into being and how you think it might even be enacted and, like, used, but then also maybe just what your own perspective is on, like, the wider kind of sociocultural environment in Ireland that led to that being such a wide and pervasive problem. What do you think? Yeah, there's a, that's a very big, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, sorry, it's a mouthful. <laughs> no, let's, let's, let's pick that apart. So what we used to, the way we used to think about this, is particularly in Ireland as well, we used to call this revenge porn. And it was mm. kind of a laugh. It was kind of like, well, you know, if you don't want the pictures, don't take them in the first place. Like, tough shit, you know, like, it, we're just sharing them around. That's it. And now we kind of understand it to be a little bit more because we realise, actually, this is better named as image-based sexual abuse. So you are abusing someone through the platform of using their intimate images. You're not sharing them around to go, hey, uh, you know, Caroline would be delighted if you shared her images around. That's her live stream. You know you're gonna cause harm to someone and Mm -hmm. you know that they haven't consented to that. So it's using images to cause harm and pain and trauma to someone. So I think that that renaming and, and a, a fair bit of the media has adapted it now, which is fantastic as well. But I think just renaming it at that allows us to name it as part of that spectrum of sexual mm-hmm. violence. So it's digital sexual violence. And again, when we normally think of what sexual violence is, we think of violence committed on someone's body by someone else in real time. You know, mm-hmm. someone is touching you in a way that you don't want them to touch you. And that's what we traditionally have thought of of sexual sexual violence but now obviously we live in an internet age and we can use the internet to abuse someone also as well as the many many great things that we use the internet for mm-hmm. but that digital stuff i think it's you know it's important to recognize that actually this is just as traumatizing for somebody else and it's not a case of oh well 
like you know that was harder that was like rougher that was more violent. Mm -hmm. it's all about the impact on the person and we we're starting to understand like the impact of image-based abuse can be things like self-harm suicide mental health issues physical health issues relationship issues like there's such a huge amount um of, of traumas that can come for it so i suppose the law the law was about four years in the making um, because basically because politicians didn't really see it as a problem and we weren't naming it as part of the spectrum mm -hmm. of sexual violence so much and again because it predominantly affected women there wasn't that um, <laughs> yep <laughs> you know to change uh, unfortunately as such is the case so it finally passed um technically in december 2020 but it was properly enacted in february hmm. um so now it is illegal to share those images and there's fairly hefty penalties for it you know you can face i think is it up to seven years in prison and there's fines of like five grand and mm -hmm. things like that so like i think that's great on one level to have the law but what i'd really like to see is a cultural change where yeah. it would just be weird to share images without consent like you would be a not very nice person for doing that it wouldn't be normal you know it's like that's where we need to be exactly i completely agree with that and i think as well it's one of those things um people who don't see that as a problem like who as in someone who has like doesn't have the thought go through their head of oh should I be doing this the person who just doesn't care about another person's well-being that does those type of sharing of intimate images just having a law in place is not like, like it's not really going to be that much of a deterrent like like that's the way we really need to have that bigger cultural shift to the point where it's like rather than basically which is what kind of happens shaming and blaming the person who took the image we actually well it that, that's kind of going into the Brene Brown territory of is shaming ever really good but more that we should be, it should be the case that no one should even consider is like oh I'll do this for a lot it shouldn't even be something that comes across someone's mind like that's what we want to get that cultural shift but yeah it's a tricky one of like it's great that the law is there but until we really see if it's applied and how it's applied, it will be interesting to see how effective it is. But it is great to see that the government has kind of done some form of an acknowledgement. I mean, it's, it's something, but at yeah. the same time, you know, I've worked in domestic violence services for mm. years and we have laws against domestic violence <laughs> and we have an epidemic of it in Ireland because it's a hidden thing so much. Mm. But even then, you know, as we turn people away from refuges, the government hasn't committed to um, fully funding enough refugees, refuge spaces. There's no refuge for men in Ireland either. Mm. Um, thankfully, we're not like the UK. The refugees do take trans people. I know the UK is a different ball of fish, but it's a than transphobia. Um, but I think over here, it's like it is that cultural change and we need to shift our thinking around especially things like victim blaming yeah so if someone's saying well don't send that image in the first place you're basically saying to someone like the old way we used to look at domestic violence is like well why won't you why do you stay why don't you just mm -hmm. leave and 
it's like it's so much more complex but also digital intimacy is not a bad thing it's how a lot of us live our lives people especially in the pandemic yeah all sorts of Zoom and that's okay if you choose to do that and you're yeah. informed and making that choice what's not okay is the sharing of those images and that's where we need to be to go why would you do that why would you share it that's where we need to get if we were to build a, a culture of consent in Ireland exactly 100% and I'm hoping we can and it seems with the work that active consent is doing that you are doing with them that we are hopefully getting slowly having that shift occur given as you said there was no such thing as consent classes up until 2016 so hopefully we are moving towards that culture of consent but this is something that you kind of touched on there about uh you know we want to basically make sure that nobody thinks about sharing those intimate images something I noticed a lot when that the whole discord server leak occurred and there was all the discussion like again anytime something like that happens there's discussion rampant discussion everywhere and on all the online spaces but one thing i saw a lot was the whole they a lot of people would have complete sympathy for anyone whose images had been shared without their consent by say an ex-partner or someone that they were involved with and it didn't end well etc or even just the per they might not might have ended fine but the person just was a dick <laughs> people were sympathetic in those situations but when it came came to sex workers and people who use only fans it was oh no they that's they had it coming it's completely up to them again it's like it's so strange to see that cognitive dissonance that it's people have moved away from victim blaming in one circumstance but still victim blame in another and it's yeah i think that's something that is still a wider problem in irish society is we are a very almost swerfy and <laughs> sex work judgmental culture like i don't know if you saw it on um ireland am the other morning but they had arlene caffrey of the irish pole dance academy and one of the students as well were on talking about pole and the host of ireland am at the time shana goes now we sh we shouldn't really be calling it pole dancing because that would imply negative connotations and arlene quick as a whip but straight away went no, we should, because we need to acknowledge that what we're doing comes from sex work and we need to respect sex workers. So it was really great to see that happening on morning Irish TV. But the fact that the host made that comment shows how wide we people in Ireland still are very judgmental and shaming of sex work and sex workers. So I just kind of like quickly kind of like what what you kind of think about that because that kind of comes into the, the whole our culture of consent as well like it's all intermingled <laughs> it's, everything is linked yeah yeah unfortunately we live in a culture where we don't listen to sex workers who are the experts of their own experiences and whether mm -hmm. that's those who love the job whether that's those who don't mind it whether that's those who hate it whatever the case is mm -hmm. they should all be listened to and taking into account and not dismissed as oh well you do, you're not representative like nobody's representative of absolutely everybody um but you know i would look at it in the case of you know i would take a harm reduction approach of okay it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you what your ideology is there are people who are going to work in sex work we want them to be as safe as we possibly can mm -hmm. yeah the ideology is 
a whole different ball game. It's it's like drugs, you know, and heroin and stuff. I'd rather people didn't do heroin, but at the same time, it's not my business. But I want them to be as safe as possible. So can we have safe injection clinics? Can we regulate drugs? People aren't injecting cement into their arms, as what happens when heroin gets mixed with cement, and then people lose arms and all this kind of crazy stuff. So can we protect sex workers who are extremely vulnerable sometimes? You know, and it's like. This is all about consent and empowering people to make the choices that work for their own lives. And can we allow people to survive in safe ways? That's that's all it comes down to. And I think just if you're taking that approach, it's just really a matter of respect. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you can have your ideologies all you want, but if you want to have those ideologies and it impacts people and makes them less safe, um, then I think you deserve the label of swerf. And you're you know you're not listening to the reality you're listening to ideology and theory instead so it's not a great situation yeah we're the brunt of that 100 i completely agree with you there and i think like just speaking on that as well it does seem that when it comes to say sex workers but also as well when it comes to trans people like people like myself as a non-binary person is that those who talk about us in a negative way it's ideology over people like that's where it comes from and like uh, just like it's been like over the last like kind of number of months or even number of years looking across next door to the UK and seeing the rise of transphobia and cis sexism in their mainstream media has been like really scary because it's kind of been like is that going to leak across to Ireland? And in some cases, it seems like it kind of has, because it recently, just in the last like few weeks, like with the Irish Times, there's been numerous quite transphobic articles being put out, and I like I'm just wondering, like when it comes to issues like that, whether it's say issues about consent issues about sex and sexuality trans issues how do we get it i'm just like again i i always come up with these big loaded questions and like i need to get better at narrowing them down but um i'm just wondering like how do you feel that we have again that kind of culture shift to the point that those type of views are no longer being platformed hard one because you'll get mm. some people who will make the choice not to ever listen to people and will only want to listen and publish people with certain views which mm-hmm. I don't personally agree with um, so what we can do you know both of us have a platform here like we can counteract that by going here's here you can listen to an actual trans person here you can listen to an actual sex worker talking about their lives instead of talking over them or these silly little letters that are like you know 100 words or less you can't possibly sum up <laughs> someone's experience in 100 words or less um so using our platforms to kind of contribute conversations and normalizing that but you're also just like it does it's kind of radical in one sense but it's really not you're just talking to people who make up our population that's mm-hmm. all you're doing and you know they are marginalized in a lot of ways so it's like what can we do so as a cis person i can never understand what it's like to be a trans person and live that kind of lifestyle not lifestyle jesus <laughs> that's, that's totally, that kind of life sorry um that was almost that was, um, <laughs> there, absolutely did not that. um that kind 
kind of like like i will never mm -hmm. have that experience because i was or you know assigned female at birth and i'm pretty okay with that but what i can do is use my platform to highlight those voices and not just during pride you know pride mm -hmm. is like, oh i'll take a box for my diversity and inclusion i'll have um you know some member of the lgbt community on and then the rest of the 11 months of the year we won't. Like, that's nonsense that's not real pride so just normalizing it you know if you're putting a panel together you make it as diverse as possible mm -hmm. you know and that includes like other groups like travelers who get left out of everything you know yeah so it's like just making sure that we can do our part to make sure if we have a platform we use it for good and use it to be as diverse as we possibly can because it just is not like the right thing to do like we don't deserve a medal for it it's just yeah. what you do like it's you know it's like brushing your teeth in the morning it's just what you do it's like why not be diverse it's 2021 <laughs> exactly no i completely agree it is one of those like some days it kind of it does kind of feel almost like an uphill battle like is there ever going to be any form of an outcome for all the kind of like f fighting and going against that status quo mentality but then other days it's like feels like triumphant to be doing it so it's like a it is a very tricky balance but i want to circle back to kind of the work of active consent because there's something i'm curious about um when it comes to like the consent workshops is it purely as you said just for third level institutions or is there like a more like i guess in quotation marks age appropriate like do you also go in like is there plans maybe in the future to also bring them out into like secondary schools and stuff like that because i know, know for myself when i was in secondary school in ireland my there was no such thing as sex or relationship education it ours like it was a multi-denominational school but we were still taught by none other than accord which is a catholic organization and it was essentially abstinence only was their their education so i'm wondering like is that something that you'd hope to be able to do is to bring consent workshops into schools or do you feel that's going to be something that you're going to be always hit with some form of brick wall because i think in ireland i'd say you're probably in agreement when it comes to talking about sex and sexuality with anyone under the age of 18 it's all of a sudden no no we can't be talking about that they're too young <laughs> Some of that for some people but the good news is we already are in second level schools teaching about consent and different aspects and i would like that to be rolled out a little bit more you know again it's just a, a question of the, the program isn't that old yet and mm. you know we're, we're finally expanding out a little bit so there is stuff to go in an ideal world even outside of active consent just like hypothetically speaking i would love to have programs in in like even in primary school of mm -hmm. like Here's what's going to happen to your body because puberty can start at like nine or ten now you know mm -hmm. you can get periods at nine and ten um but i would love there to be you know better um or see education on um healthy relationships yes or, you know like the different ways that people may interact with other people in a sexual way and because everywhere around the world that has decent comprehensive sex education people are more empowered mm -hmm. and they make better choices around contraception they actually have lower number of sexual partners and the age they first have sex is actually higher because they're thinking oh i am ready for it or i'm not ready for it they feel a bit mm -hmm. more empowered and i think that's really only a good thing so you know i would love that and especially again working in social care and domestic violence 
violence you know I'm aware of there is a women's aid report in 2020 now being women's aid they only looked at women mm-hmm. um, but they said that of all the people young people who are experiencing domestic violence about 50% of that started when they're under 18 so we have people in second level experiencing domestic violence and you can also maybe extrapolate that out then to say there's a high chance that people are also experiencing sexual violence Mm -hmm. at that age i mean i don't think that's a wild statement to kind of you know suggest there and that's not okay like you know i feel like we're just leaving people to figure that out by themselves and they might know what things like sexual coercion is and like manipulation and, and things like this or you know what a healthy relationship is actually meant to look like so i really love it if you know we had more of those things and none of that is really about sex you know there's nothing salacious in any of that stuff and i think you can teach consent without even mentioning sex because what all consent really is is here's how to teach um boundaries and here's how you treat people with respect and here's how you talk about what you want to do i mean that's not that radical it's also the recipe for like a good time (laughs) exactly it's it's like consent and communication are like the magic ingredients for a good time but i think yeah it's pretty horrendous and i think people have to wrap their heads around the fact that oh my gosh our 16 year olds may be experiencing sexual violence mm-hmm. and domestic violence like that's a horrible horrible thought but unfortunately it's reality for some of our young people so we do need to help them and i yeah. think um you know i've spoken to men's aid about this as well before and they were saying that it, there's just no services really for, for male victims mm-hmm. in that sense and to teach them about healthy relationships because a lot of boys are just like again no education yeah left to figure it out and you know for some people boys are meant to be the active partner and mm-hmm. girls are meant to be passive and non-binary people fit somewhere <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. oh so but yeah exactly but that's like um sorry and that's also just in general yeah. <laughs> queer people do queer people exist as teenagers <laughs> it's like it's such a but you're touching on so many important things and i really like what you're going to mention there about like how you said like men's aid say there is like basically nothing when it comes to resources when it comes to young men and i think as part of like the wider problem of the fact that we aren't taught about relationships at a young age about how to relate to other people a huge part of that which is something that any person who knows what feminism is is fighting to change but it's the whole thing of like the pervasiveness of toxic masculinity which essentially tells young men that they're not allowed to have emotions they're not allowed to talk about their feelings like I as someone who was like I still am 50-50 over the phrase socialized as a man like I still don't know if that's something that should be used but I'm going to use it now but as someone who was socialized as a man I found it incredibly difficult to be able to form any form of friendships or attachments because talking about your emotions, talking about your feelings, that was something that you basically was frowned upon. You weren't really supposed to be doing. And yeah, it's no wonder (laughs) Irish people in general have terrible (laughs) relating abilities (laughs) 
because we just don't get given that information at those young formative ages and i think that's like i where leading into where i want to kind of like talk about next um a lot of the work that you do is as an advice columnist and i'm just kind of wondering in the work that you do in that in that area how like much like do you think the issues that you come across kind of link back to just people just not being taught how to communicate their desires their boundaries when they're at those young formative ages I would say all of it. I, I would rather not have a job. I would love a day where people need this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just like we're just expecting, we're just throwing people out there into the world. It's like the analogy I always use it's like driving. Like nobody is born and knows how to drive. You don't just get in a car one day and then go, that's grand. I'm going to go on the FT and everything's going to be fine. You learn about it. You might watch a few YouTube videos. You'll take your driving lessons. Um, you will mm-hmm. take a test. No, there's no test for sex. Um, that's <laughs> like, it's the same with sex of like, how are we going to know we're any good or like, you know, can have sex in any kind of decent, fun way if we don't have any education on it and then the only education then is porn so it's like if you're trying to learn how to drive and the only option was fast and furious videos <laughs> or like grand theft auto you're gonna be a driver. yeah you're not going to be picking up the important parts <laughs> yeah. like and porn is like it's not entertainment or it's not sex education it's entertainment for adults and it's pretty crap a lot of the time like, I'm not yep. men, but a lot of it is not great you know and yeah um the, the good stuff is, is kind of you know hidden behind not hidden behind but like you have to pay for it because obviously you should pay for porn because you're paying for sex workers who need to put money on our food on the table so of course you know they're workers that's yeah it. but at the same time a lot of that free porn you know if you're talking to 14 year olds they don't have a credit card they're not going to steal mommy and daddy's credit card and buy porn like, yeah that's not really going to be a thing so they're watching the free stuff and the free stuff is often not great like it doesn't show yeah sense. it doesn't show communication it's just like there's this really weird storyline everyone is like <laughs> washing machines at the i know like when you when you notice the new trends you're just kind of like really yeah. that's where they're going okay <laughs> Why are you getting into a to get your laundry? Like, that's a weird way to do laundry. But, like, that doesn't teach them anything about how yeah. can we ask about this. And it, it's very much, you know, in straight hetero porn, a lot of it is, like, the male is the doer and the, the woman is essentially, like, a passive masturbation device. You know, there's not a lot of emphasis on her pleasure. It's just, oh, she'll just get pounded for like hours kind of thing and everyone really loves that and it's like no that's not really reflective of a lot of the sex that a lot of people have and obviously queer people are completely left yeah the mainstream kind of porn thing um so i think it's you know and then porn gets a lot of the blame and it's like it's not really porn's fault like it's it's sex education yeah i mean enda kenny back in 2016 said oh we need to have a national conversation on porn and i was like brilliant yeah let's go do this <laughs> and then ended up like writing about like if you google enda kenny and porn my picture <laughs> <laughs> i never thought that would be my life the poor man 
but like and so I was like yeah like have a conversation with porn then have a conversation about how it's not entertainment and pay for sex education mm-hmm. that is decent now finally we do have the um NCCA, which kind of sets the sex ed curriculum, they are reviewing sex education at the moment and from what I see, the proposals look pretty good. I don't know how, you know, diverse I think, mm. or anything like that, but they look pretty good on a good few things, so we will see what that looks like in reality. They're due to come out, I think, um, in a couple of months, actually, as well. So, you know, hopefully that's rolled out at some point soon. But <laughs> exactly. Again, yeah, we, just, we just need to accept. There's no point sticking your head in the sand and going, oh, my kid doesn't watch porn. Your kid will watch porn. <laughs> I'd rather they didn't. I would rather no kids watch porn. Um, but they do, and it's not great. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's... The whole thing of the war on porn is just like, that's not the problem. The problem is that we just don't talk about sex. We don't talk about sex and sexuality, about relationships. And because we don't talk about it, we don't have porn literacy to be able to kind of talk about the fact that this these are, like, they're athletes. They're professional sex athletes. <laughs> that's what they are. They're putting on this performance. You're not seeing the behind-the-scenes discussions on boundaries and stuff like that the use of all the lube (laughs) that doesn't get shown (laughs) in the actual film (laughs) exactly and also as well part of porn illiteracy which i think is really needed as well is to be able to kind of know and acknowledge which studios are ethical and which ones aren't because that's another conversation that isn't occurring and so much of the porn that gets accessed is the in quotation marks free stolen porn that's on all the tube sites you get you see a lot of these studios that make a lot of the time the more problematic material getting massive traffic because there's no porn literacy about which studios we should kind of be putting our money towards and which ones should we should be working on making sure they're no longer in business. And it's a huge, massive problem. But there's actually kind of talk... I love actually what you said earlier, that um, Active Consent does have programs in schools. That's really refreshing to hear because that's something that, again, didn't exist when I was in school. But speaking about going into schools and kind of having that education around sex and sexuality the other week i had as a guest on my podcast cindy gallup who i know you spoke with as well and cindy is amazing and we talked about make love not porn because i am a make love not porn star i contribute my own content (laughs) exactly so that's why i was just like please come onto my podcast um but one of the questions i had was kind of similar to asking about whether the consent workshops were in schools was asking about is it like part of the future plan for make love not porn to kind of talk about you know show real world sex talk about sex and sexuality in an appropriate way to people that are not adults and kind of like we have a brilliant discussion on it but loosely the aim is at some point to be able to have it that parents can kind of go on to make love not porn and there will be kind of essentially information bits but also some type of content which could be like appropriate as in it would be more kind of softcore and stuff like that but that shows how consent happens in real time how discussion of boundaries happens and stuff like that 
and that's like like i think as well i when it comes to whether porn should be strictly viewed by people under above a certain age i think hardcore explicit porn definitely people who are old enough to understand what they're watching coupled with a discussion on porn literacy but i do think younger people because like as you said earlier from those unfortunately very sobering um statistics um about the fact that there are young people that are suffering from domestic violence and most likely sexual violence is that young people are having sex so i think there should be i like i'd love to see some form of like a essentially like soft core appropriate type of like sexual content that younger people can watch to see how it should look so not this wild extravagant over the top olympics of porn but something that like real world sex like i think that's something that's important to see because like you said it's this analogy like your analogy of driving <laughs> we aren't given any of that information and then the second we hit 18 right <laughs> you're ready to do all of that stuff <laughs> and it's i'm wondering like do you, i'm just wondering like what you think do you think that would be something that would be helpful or useful or is it more of a case-by-case basis let kind of parents decide a fan of um you know giving people the tools through education mm. and you know conversations around it i think i also think if you were t- like one of the main criticisms of you know oh consent classes and porn literacy is oh my god you're gonna show kids porn right i was like no <laughs> that's, that's not an option i also think if you were to do something as wild as that i don't think anyone in that classroom would pay attention because they'd be dying <laughs> that's like, a very good point not going to be able to look at you in the face after something like that it's just going to be the most awkward cringy thing and they're probably not going to take anything on in that case but also like you know we do consume a lot of sexual content in private and we have sex Mm. in private so there isn't necessarily that need to make it a public thing you know it's like people a lot of sex is like where you can be vulnerable with somebody else you know and and Mm. kind of be say hey this is what i like this is how i like to be intimate with somebody so i'm not sure that like showing a film in a classroom of like 40 odd people would help with that (laughs) no probably not in that setting (laughs) no they want in their own time and stuff but i would prefer to empower people through education and talking and, and workshops and stuff and, and looking at things that way because also we, what we have to remember is sex isn't just physical acts mm-hmm. it's also emotional intimacy it's also spiritual intimacy for some people it's mm-hmm. also financial like who pays for the contraception who pays for a hotel room yeah and, and all some of those decisions are kind of political as well because like things like abortion were illegal in ireland so mm-hmm. you know people who could get pregnant didn't have full control of their bodily autonomy in that case so i think recognizing that that sex is more than just the physical, physical acts yeah yeah it's not like insert like that's one part of it but i think it's really nice to remind ourselves that it's actually so much more than that and people 
don't always just have sex to have orgasms and mm -hmm. like porn and whatever form of porn watching it's a performance yeah you know? and when it's in our own lives hopefully it's not a performance it's more authentic and and you know that's what um i've written about that as well like that difference between performative sexuality where we're acting and we're focusing mm -hmm. on giving pleasure whereas authentic sexuality is like how do we feel comfortable within ourselves to receive pleasure and to talk to someone else and go hey this isn't working for me can we try xyz or mm -hmm. hey i'd really like you to do this and to be comfortable in that and i think that's it's almost more important than learning about okay i can do this position or i can do um this particular sexual act because you kind of can figure that bit out i mean that that's almost like animal nature you know sometimes of like you know we can figure that bit out but i think if yeah we only looked at the visual stuff then we miss all the rest of the other stuff yes no 100 percent. and yeah no <laughs> i think my <laughs> my <laughs> description of the ideal scenario was yeah not in a classroom scenario more just age appropriate private alone time material but <laughs> coupled with the education from workshops and conversations that happen in those kind of classroom scenarios so like an immersive all across the board education from different types of mediums and different ways of imp imparting that information uh, the, again the important part of it being that it's about the emotions and how you communicate and how you relate to others because at the end of the day i think ultimately that's why a lot of people globally but i think particularly in ireland don't have the most in quotation marks satisfying sexual lives sexual relationships because they don't know how to form good communicative healthy relationships separate from sex and i think that's why where a lot of those kind of issues kind of stem from and come from it's like but yeah everything is so linked like it's almost when it comes to these things it's almost impossible to talk about one thing separate on its own without acknowledging that it's connected to all these other areas the loveliness of intersectionality <laughs> every in a different sense everything is connected but um Actually, there's one thing that you kind of touched on earlier about the way that talking about consent doesn't even have to touch on sex, which is such a strong and valid point, and I love that you went into that, because I think something I'm seeing with a lot of parents I know that are having, like, they're young parents that have young kids, is they're teaching their kids from a young age about consent through their bodily autonomy by saying someone has to ask you for a hug like so they're teaching their children that they have con control over who touches their body and i just think that that is something that we should be introducing across the board to like it should literally be something that if you're going to becoming a parent <laughs> you need to be doing this because instilling those lessons into people at young ages formative ages is so important to as you said people having an empowered life when they're adults absolutely and i think it, it can be so easy i think people are terrified by it and look rightly so if, if you've never had decent 
sex education mm. or you maybe haven't felt empowered in your own life it's probably absolutely terrifying to try and talk to this um talk about this with your with your children but i love the the american examples that you can find the videos on youtube and stuff where they're the kids are going into a classroom and they point a picture of a hug or a fist bump mm. or a wave and then the teacher gives them that and that's literally consent you're going this is how i'm choosing um for you to touch me and mm-hmm. sometimes it's like and i'm choosing for you not to touch me at all and it's like that's literally consent and there's no nothing to do with sex whatsoever in that and you're teaching young people that okay i get to choose who touches my body which is also great for like protective measures against things like childhood abuse mm-hmm. you know, it's really important to, that if we teach people the correct names for our genitals and you know that people don't touch your body without your consent hopefully in that case if something does happen they might feel more empowered to tell an adult about it and and hopefully then obviously all the measures and stuff can get put in place but i think that if we normalize consent like that Mm -hmm. by the time kids are old enough to receive appropriate conversations about sexual consent they're gonna go yeah (laughs) exactly it'll be like like, but of course (laughs) why wouldn't it be the case like what consent culture is it's where consent is so normalized that you just be going why wouldn't i that would be weird and like that's where it's lovely to kind of get to and that people feel empowered and we do challenge things like victim blaming or um you know just just gross statements and things like that so i think there's so many nice ways to do it and you know, I think if anyone's listening and they ha- they are a parent and they're terrified by this, um, I think Sarah Sproul is such a great um, educator in this mm-hmm. area. And she works with parents to get comfortable um, around this. So I think, you know, it's great that we have people in Ireland that we can recommend as resources. So that's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I think it's like, you know, don't hug your weird aunt if you don't <laughs> want to. You know, that's consent. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I, <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> why it's almost like an extra tricky thing in Ireland because like so much of Irish culture is about like not causing offence unnecessarily so it's like so much of that is oh no you have to be hugging your grandparent or you have to be hugging this family member because if you don't it's going to look bad on me and it's like so much of that is like again everything is just linked like so, so many problems in irish society are all linked to different issues um one main one being our the you know ever present shadow of the catholic church that we just can't seem to escape from but that's a whole other podcast episode that would be an hour-long conversation um but we've come up we're coming close to the hour point now so before we, i kind of wrap up and let you go to your busy schedule um i just want to because you kind of did touch on about how hopeful it is to kind of get to a point that we can be a consent focused culture so apart from being a consent focused culture what's something else that you're really hopeful for to see particularly in ireland like as a country as a culture like what's something that you're hopeful that we'll achieve all sex educators will be out of a job because we'll all know absolutely everything and it'll be fantastic but um i think that 
if anything happens to someone that they can instantly access the right service for them mm -hmm. that we have diverse services that are super inclusive out there and that we won't need things like domestic violence shelters that just you know violence is just not going to be as epidemic as it is and people don't have to leave their homes it should be the case that the abuser leaves their home which mm -hmm. really isn't the case in a lot of ways um, and I would love us all to have like really awesome sex lives and that are consensual and happy and fun, whatever that looks like. If that's with multiple partners, if that's in a hetero marriage, if that's like literally whatever you want it to be. I would love us to be empowered enough to recognize that good sex isn't knowing 50 positions. <laughs> good sex is feeling comfortable and secure enough to ask for what you want to protect yourself to make the decisions that are right for you whether that's um sexual health wise whether that's contraception wise whether that's who you're sleeping with wise whatever that mm -hmm. means to you and i would love us all to be able to define sex in ways that make sense for us because it doesn't look the same for everybody and that's a good thing you know because then we get to explore even more of sex so i think i would love us to get to that stage in society and to have that kind of positive experience because i think we have a lot of intergenerational trauma around sex and i think we're starting mm -hmm. this healing process at the moment so i would love us to kind of embrace that holistic nature towards sex and to have whatever support services we need to be in place and whether that's just like a sex podcast or a sex education book or mm -hmm. a course or whatever it is i think and i do think that we will achieve that we are definitely going in in that right direction you know and it's you know even like things like this you know a conversation like this is fantastic because if one person goes hey i can have sex this way that's yeah fantastic exactly and i loved every i was just like nodding away i loved everything you said there that was just beautiful and yes i hope too to see that bright beautiful future and yeah more fun explorative happy consensual sex for everyone like that's just something that i hope everyone gets to have and <laughs> exactly all those fun phrases on a t-shirt I'll, I'll i'll roll out the merchandise as soon as i can <laughs> but one final quick question before i ask you to kind of just plug whatever you need to plug but what's something that's uh, just currently giving you joy because i know it's very hard to find joy during a worldwide pandemic so what's something that is giving you joy at the moment have turned into a weird person in my old age i'm obsessed with sea swimming i is just like give me such joy to go and now the jellyfish kind of scare me and that's a different matter <laughs> but i'm absolutely loving like the whole connection with nature and just getting out into the water and i'm actually going to sea swimming after this so it's, it's gotten to be a lovely little bit of an addiction and it's nice to have like you know time with friends talking mm -hmm. about nature and stuff like that and so that's awesome and also the hope of getting two sausage dogs in a couple of months that's <gasps> oh so i'm very happy about that <laughs> yes i i hope that that um, becomes a reality for yourself as someone who did previously have a sausage dog as part of an old relationship that's no longer a relationship that's a whole other story but yes um i no longer have the sausage dog in my life but that was the best dog at the time <laughs> 
That is, I'm gonna will it into existence. So before, <laughs> I hope that becomes a reality for you as well. So before I let you go, um, is there uh, anything that you want to plug? Anything you have coming up, or just where people can find you? Yeah. Um. So people can find the active consent profile at Active Consent on Twitter and Instagram. There's lots of really cool stuff on there. If people want to find me, um, the Twitter is Caroline West underscore I E. Or my Twitter and Instagram for the podcast is Glow West Podcast. So if people want to chat about that, I will have a couple of live panel podcasts coming up. I think there's one in August on sexual health mm-hmm. um, and a potential further one on sexual healing coming up maybe October-ish, give or take, somewhere around then. So um, yeah, so if, if feel free to follow. Or if people want to send me in a question for the, the column, they can feel free to do so. It's open to all genders, ages, and sexualities. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Caroline. And to all my listeners, I will have all the links to the different socials that were mentioned in the show notes so you can go and support Caroline in all those other areas and go like and subscribe to the Glow West podcast because it is spectacular. Hello, listener. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. If you would like to be there for the next stop on this adventure, then please like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow my Instagram, which is mixbellmorrigan. That's M-X-B-E-L-M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N. And tell your friends that you too want to help make the world a better place, one conversation at a time.